like they'll have a video that goes viral and then they if they don't if they don't if they're not ready and they don't use that and really gain some traction it can really just crest and fall and then you know in three years they might not really be in a very different place than they were they just had that video that was really popular this is the creator smarts podcast the number one podcast where you will learn to leverage your online following to build a smart and future-proof education business i'm your host jan Hey everybody, it's your Dutch friend Jan and you are listening to episode 162 of the Creator Smarts podcast. Thanks for listening and how are you doing? Um, I went to Vid Summit last week, which was crazy. I'm not going to talk about that journey, that adventure uh, on this episode. So we'll talk about it next week. Um, this week we're going to talk to Alan Matthews of Classical Guitar Shed, which is a YouTube channel. Uh, he also has a blog where, uh, and a website, of course. And um, he basically teaches people how to play classical guitar. Um, new niche for me. Um, I think it's the first time on this channel that we interview somebody who teaches music online. Um, also part of education of course so really looking forward to learn more about um his uh, his content business but also of course the course business um what's interesting about um alan's business is that it's relatively i mean at least the youtube channel is relatively small um but he actually makes a lot of money we do not really talk about revenue on this podcast but we actually uh, got the chance to meet alan in person uh, hang out with him a bit in morocco a few weeks ago or a month ago um at our mastermind retreats in morocco yes alan was there as well and we talked a bit about revenue the only thing that i can say here is that he's doing very 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 well and um yeah, we're going to learn how he does it, how he got started, the origin story, um, about the, you know, the the membership versus selling one-off courses dilemma, um, managing a team. He had a pretty pretty large team. And then eventually we're also going to talk about financially being financially free and also being location independent because Matthew is, or Alan is American, but he moved to Europe not long ago. We're going to talk about that experience as well. All right, let's get started. Hey, Alan, welcome to the Creative Smarts Podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do. Thanks, Jan. I'm Alan Matthews. I have classicalguitarshed.com, and I teach people to play classical guitar. So this is reading music and playing notes. Uh, kind of like if you imagine classical piano music, but on the guitar. Mm -hmm. And so there's YouTube videos, courses, it's a membership model. And so there's a full step-by-step -step program that people go through with community. And, and that's what's, and that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. Are you, would you say, are, are you a teacher first, a YouTuber first? Are you a business person first? Like how do you, how do you get started? Teacher first. So I had, I went mm -hmm. to school for music. Um, and after that, tried some other business things, tried some real estate in 2007, which, which wasn't terribly successful, and have been uh, uh, teaching guitar throughout that whole time. So it's about 2004 
2005. I've been teaching guitar full-time at a couple of schools. Mm -hmm. I taught at Reed College and Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, where I was living for a long time. And also had a studio where I, I taught a lot, of, a lot of kids, a lot of adults. And from that, I noticed that, especially for this one kid, he just wouldn't practice what I wanted him to practice. Well, a lot of kids were like that. But for this one, I decided I'm just going to make some practice along videos so that he can, so that he can just push play and practice along. They were about 15 minutes and they just went through a lot of the things that we were working on, this little exercise, these chords, these type of things. And so it just went one, and so he could just push play. And I made this series of three of them so that he could rotate one per day. And I put these on YouTube for Ethan, and that was his name. And I don't think he ever used them, but I got some good response from people on YouTube. So I was like, okay, well, I can, I can do some more of these. And so I started putting out different types of tutorials and whatnot for a little bit. I was just teaching this whole time. And so this was just mm -hmm. a sideline, a sideline thing. And mm -hmm. eventually about, I think 2013, I decided to make a website and start putting the videos also on there and write some articles to accompany them. And so that I just did while collecting emails and writing an email to the list every, every week, every Saturday. I just made, okay, I'm just going to have a cadence and I'll put out a video a week with an article and send an email about it. And that was my, that is actually still pretty much the, the cadence of that throughout that whole time. And then over time, it, uh, it started just getting to be a bit much with the editing and everything else. And so I hired an editor, I mean, a, a video editor and just funding it myself. There was no monetization or anything like that. And then decided... How am I going to, you know, can I make some money with this? And it was a couple of years before I even asked the question. It was mainly just, just making stuff hmm. and, and trying to be helpful. Hmm. Then I got the inspiration from Bob Ross, the painter mm -hmm. um, on public television, because I really enjoyed going through pieces of music and saying, and this was how we do this little piece and this kind of how we do this little piece. And if you go louder here and softer there, all these little details. And so doing those got some traction. I thought, okay, I could actually make this into a course because it was really, it was like an hour lesson. that was just like going to war with these pieces. It's like whoever would watch a full hour of that. I have no idea. It was just so dense. And so I decided mm -hmm. I really should split this up. And then it kind of naturally just became a course. And so I ended up making a couple of courses and said, actually, this could, so it just kind of ballooned from that point. I finally sold yep. something in 2015 and have been iterating ever since. And so now there's, there's the membership and there's about 80 different a la carte courses on pieces of music and individual skills that have come out of it. So you made your first sale in 2007, 17? Oh, sorry, what did you say? Seven years ago. 15. Yeah, 15 to so seven years ago. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about, because you said you started on YouTube and then, then we're like, okay, I have a few YouTube videos now. Let's also build a website and a blog. Was that a strategy? Is writing something that you like? Because you would say like, if you start on YouTube, you'll find some traction there. You just go all in on that, right? So why did you choose to 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 also work on, on that website and uh, create a blog? That's a good question. I didn't even 
Well, I, I didn't know a lot about the industry. It was also, it wasn't the same as it is today. And then mm -hmm. I think just everybody had a blog back then. And that's just what you did was that uh, YouTube wasn't a platform really in itself. Maybe there were some people doing that, but mostly it was a way to get people to your blog where you sold things yeah, or yeah, where yeah. you had other content, got them on your, on your email list. And so it never occurred to me to not have a website. Now, I think it's wonderful that you can just yeah. go onto an individual platform and build a whole business on it. Um, then it just, yeah. I didn't know that that was an option. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because, I mean, that, that, that's true. Like if you have a huge following on YouTube now, like you do not necessarily have need to have a blog, right? It's still, I mean, yes, you need to collect email addresses because that's where you make the sales is what we talk about all the time on the podcast. But, you know, it doesn't even have to be a website. It can just be like a, like a link tree with like a link to your landing page where people can give their email address. Whereas people who started in online business like seven years ago, like yourself or even earlier, they, they know they're often very good at monetization. They're often very good at email marketing and other things because that was the only way to make money back in the day. All right. So, um, you started with that website and at the time YouTube was more or like the YouTube videos were more like complementary to the blog post. Is that how it worked? They, they went together. I definitely did the yeah. videos first and, and still do. I, I lay them out, plan them out and then do them and then use that framework for the blog, for the, for the written text. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so the, uh, the, the videos came first, but there was always a, a blog post with it. And so then content was really the main, the main play. And that, it still has been uh, all the way to this point. And search, just organic search, is also our biggest channel as well. That's our biggest traffic source and, mm -hmm. and source of, of customers as well. So we, we get, you know, some from, the, from social, but mostly it's still just organic search. And we've really doubled down on on content over the years. Mm. It's interesting that you say that because you've been working on you've you've done both the YouTube videos and at the same time you worked on the blog. Um, you say that nowadays most of the traffic comes from the blog. Is that also where you put in the, the most amount of work? By far, like not even close. It's so much more work. I'm actually yeah. looking at like how can I like do less of this. But there's also yeah. like we have free sheet music. And so my team puts that out. We publish that almost daily. And so there's constantly new pieces of music being put out there and each has a page. And so people will search for a particular piece of music and then that will get them to the site as well. So there's it's just thousands and thousands of uh, pieces of content. Yeah. So how do you see the future for the, because people are moving towards video, at least that's what the trends seem to be. Um, are you still bullish on, on the blog, building out the website or are you shifting more, more towards YouTube? What's your, what's your vision on this? Well, the blog's not going anywhere, so I'm not taking things down. And so, uh, we're also constantly optimizing. We have an SEO guy who just tells us what to do and so we're constantly optimizing for different keywords and, and making new content specifically for search and, and for mm -hmm. SEO. But I'm putting a lot more work into video. I'm actually starting to take it seriously. It was something I batch 
video fairly heavily. And so I wasn't being strategic mm -hmm. about the titles or the anything else. It would just, I'd record, I'd batch video like by the year. So I'd sit down and record a year's worth of video and I, huh. and then write the, write the, the, the articles just as they, as they trickle out. But now mm -hmm. we're, we're looking at, uh, we're doing a bunch of shorts. We're doing a test of a hundred days of shorts and we're just being much more strategic about the, the video content on YouTube and reels. And so we're actually just, I feel like we're a little bit late to the game, getting, getting serious about it, but we are starting to get serious about it. Mm -hmm. And tell us a bit about the course business because you had this, well, the website and the YouTube channel collecting email addresses every day. Um, you have a bunch of courses. How do you learn? How do you learn about like online marketing and, and selling online courses? Well, for a long time, I listened to tons of podcasts and I don't listen to many podcasts these days. I mostly listen to just long form content. Uh, and so these days I'm not learning a whole lot of, of new things except for like going to the creative creator smarts event in Morocco and just hearing what everybody else was doing and then, and then coming home and, and implementing stuff there. But I'm not really seeking out a lot of content. And whenever I, I do, it's mostly tactical. And then I tell my team research this and, you know, and make up an SOP for it. And so it, it, it becomes like mm -hmm. that. The, I will say I don't sell that many courses specifically. It's mm -hmm. mostly the membership that drives things. And so I have all these courses and people do buy them, but by the numbers, the, the membership is really the, the business of the business. Mm -hmm. And so that's the main thing. And so, and that is about teaching. Like, so once people get in there, then it's about helping them get results, getting them momentum, uh, and actually having them see what they want to see in their practice. Yeah. So let's talk about that then, because that's one of the questions that we get quite often. It's like, should I sell one of courses or should I sell a membership? You say that the business nowadays is, is the membership. Is that, was that a strategic decision or is that something that turned out? What was that the thing that your audience simply wanted or how do you, how do you move towards that, that membership model? Well, at the time, at the time, it just seemed like the it seemed like the way to go. It's recurring revenue. Uh, it's um, you know you get somebody, you get to you know you it's a higher uh, you know uh, lifetime value. For, yeah, it's, it's a higher uh, customer value. And mm -hmm. now I realize that you can also just sell higher price courses and make them more inclusive mm -hmm. of whatever it is, and then and then just do it that way. Uh, at the time, it just seemed like the way to go. It's, I can see that people are also getting a little bit of membership and subscription fatigue these days because everything is a subscription. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the way yeah. whenever I started it. And so seven years ago, it wasn't mm -hmm. that way. So it was somewhat novel to have a subscription guitar site online at that, at that time. Whereas now it's, it's all over the place and there are all different kinds of courses. And with, with YouTube now, I just saw it on your uh, on your podcast talking about it with YouTube being able to uh, allow people to sell courses directly 
then that's just going to blow up as well. And so there'll be a lot more courses. And I've already been seeing this in, in my space, in the classical guitar space, of a lot more people having a following first, and then they create a course. Mm-hmm. Where it was more the opposite yes. on this uh, for, mm-hmm. for us. So how do you feel about the membership model nowadays? Are you still happy with it? You, you, you're thinking about shifting towards one-off courses? Or, I mean, I guess, what, what are the downsides of membership? Usually, like the people that I've worked with, they, they, well, they're <laughs> overall they're happy with it, I guess. But a downside is that you need to keep publishing new content. Is that also what you do? Or is it mostly like, they join for the content and then they stay for the community. Like, do you feel like you you need to keep publishing new content to keep the community happy? Or are there other ways to, uh, to keep your audience happy and uh, make sure that they extend their subscription every single time? You know what's funny is I think it increases retention to publish new things, but people don't actually consume it. They just want to know it's there. Mm. So they want to know that it's being yeah. refreshed and that it's evolving, but they don't actually, yeah. so I can make a new course. Let's say I make a new course on a piece of music that the membership gets access to. Very few people will actually go through that course, but they like seeing that it's there and mm. hearing that there's something new going on and knowing that there's some, some constant life within it. One mm. of the things that's good about the membership is that there's a there can be a lower cost of entry especially on the monthly yeah. and so then they can try it out and that also has the you know it's a double-edged sword in that attrition is higher for monthly memberships than it is for yearly let's say mm-hmm. and we have started selling lifetime memberships we did this right at first just to to fund some growth and then took it away because people were saying, well, I would only do the lifetime, but I'm not ready to spend that much. And so I just won't do anything. So we just took it away and said, just choose monthly or yearly. And mm-hmm. uh, so I don't really know. It's something I'm thinking a lot about and I haven't really come to a decision. And I'm, I think it will just come down to testing. We have started testing with the courses of offering packages of courses, like all the beginning and, inter- and early intermediate courses as a bundle and all the intermediate advanced courses as a bundle. And they haven't really been seeing very much action, really. And so mm. I don't know if it would be, be better. A lot of people would prefer to just have their one-time payment, have lifetime access because they know they're gonna get busy all summer and then they're not, not do very much with it and then come back in the fall, whatever it happens to be. And so a lot of people prefer to have a one-time payment. I do as well, and then you don't have to, to think about it. So I'm on the fence. I don't really have deep insights into this, but I'm, I too want the answers. Yeah. So one thing that we, um, so I've, I've, I've talked to lots of people who are in the, uh, in the language education space, right? And one model that we see that works very well there is to first, first sell one-off courses. Right, because you keep the money up front, like there is no membership, you don't need to, you're not trapped on a hamster wheel where you need to keep publishing new content, right? So you do that first, and that, that's your business, that's where you make the money. But then at a certain stage, like this, there's only, you only have so many courses, right? So eventually, like once you've 
once you've made your revenue, you've, you've sold the highest ticket products, that's when you want retention, right? And that's why many people um, that we have had on the podcast here, they first sell one of courses and then eventually um, they offer a membership. So, okay, now you have... Now you have learned this language, right? You, you, you know all the grammar skills, but you know the only reason to, or the only way to become really fluent is by repetition and just do more of what you have been doing. And you can do that if you join our membership because that's where every month we launch new content, right? So it's, it's kind of a combination of the two models. First one of courses and then the membership for the retention. But um, was there anything else that I wanted to say there? No, I just thought that's an interesting combination. I don't know if that's something that can work for your business. I think, you know, both both models have their pros and their cons and there's probably not a best way to do something. It all depends on, I guess, also like what kind of business that you want to build, right? Um, One of the things that I've I've noticed with the with the courses is that, you know, they get and this is a both of this is a, a pro and a con is that they, they purchase it, they purchase the course, and, and then they're, they're on their own with it. And that's great on yeah. my end because I don't actually have to, to service them yeah. in any way or anything like that. On the other side, I genuinely want people to get good results and, and play the music that they want to play. And with my program, I, we, have, we have a lot of interaction. We, it's pretty high touch in relation to other things. People can send videos in and we send video reviews back with, with suggestions and, and yeah. comments on what they're doing. They can book uh, live Zoom calls within their just 15 minute check-ins. And so this is all unlimited with it. And then there's also the community. We have a couple of events every month, a Q&A and then an open mic where people can play. And so there's, it's pretty high touch in relationship to a course, which is just kind of one and done. Yeah. You purchase it and then, and I think that people actually learn better in that environment. It also creates an ongoing um, accountability because they know that they're they're paying for it ongoing, and so they they want so it kind of lights the fire under them a little bit. And so there, I think that there are benefits to the model in that it enables us to help more, but that does come with the cost mm -hmm. because then overhead yeah. is higher, uh, our work is higher. If somebody mm. leaves, then you know it's a there's some logistical things going on, and so. I like the membership because I, yeah, I think it's, it's a better experience for the for learning if people if people really do it. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting discussion, and I actually had a similar discussion last Friday. Um, just before this interview, I told you that I was at Vit Summit in LA last uh, last week, and when was it? Friday evening. I uh, I had this. <laughs> I had a. Quite a heated discussion with uh, Nusai Yassin, the founder of Nas Daily. Uh, for the listeners who don't know Nas Daily, it's one of the biggest YouTube channels out there, one of the biggest creators. They get about 300 million views per month at the moment. Um, huge following. And they basically launched uh, a course platform. It's called Nas.io. And it's, it's, it's a bit like Teachable, but then for cohort-based courses. So it's basically like a Teachable uh, Facebook groups and Zoom calls, but then in one place. Pretty smart business idea, but you know he was he was because I was with 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 Ari with uh, Shalma, and he he asked us about how we were doing our courses, and he said, well, we have one of courses, and he said, man, two more years, then it's over with this business model. He said, if I'm not able to make, if I don't make a new friend in in a course, like with a, a coach student, for example, 
then it's not a good course. He said, man, it's all about cohort-based courses. That's when people are more engaged, they're more involved, um, they learn more. And I said, yeah, man, that's true. I mean, it is true, but it also comes with, like if we would move to a cohort-based model where we do like all the live streams and everything, then we're going to have an unlimited amount more operations than now because now we don't have any operations some customer support of course so it's um it's an int it's an interesting d dilemma y yes it's it's better but if we have a, a unlimited amount of more <laughs> operations then yeah i'm 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 a bit rambling here i guess but uh yeah any thoughts what is something I'm, I'm wondering about? Like I think about the people who were selling I mean, in, the, in the guitar space yeah. in, let's say, 2006, right? Uh, 2010. Then it was all about DVDs, right? You'd advertise yeah. in magazines. You'd advertise on television. It was, it was a whole different thing. And where are those folks now? I mean, they really don't have businesses anymore, right? Mm. That was a they, – they crested. And then technology yeah. took them over. Same thing. I took a, a training in hypnotherapy many years ago um, to help my teaching and to see how people thought and things like this. And they had a really good business teaching people hypno, hypnotherapy, hypnosis, and this kind of thing. And then, and also they had a treatment thing as well, where people would come in for hypnosis. Well, their business now is, I mean, you can, ha you have headspace and there, I mean, there's so many different, it's just all app based. Mm -hmm. There's tons of them on YouTube. Before that, they were actually giving somebody a burnt CD with a custom one on it. And that was so high tech, right? Yeah. But it crested. And then they just got swallowed by, by the future, basically. And so I don't know, like, is that going to happen with my current course, my current uh, setup and the way that I have it structured because it's a big setup. I mean, there's thousands of videos in there and, and a lot of put together and everything else. So is it going to just, you know, transition away from that, evolve beyond that? And then how do I hmm. actually keep up with that or, yeah. you know, just retire it gracefully in some way? I'm, I really don't know the answers, but it's, it's fascinating to, to think about. Yeah, I think it's important to keep looking what's 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 happening in the industry, right? And what the trends are. Um but also like as long as the numbers are good and the students are happy and the business is working, there's not really a problem, right? I guess it's always good to experiment with new models. Um but uh yeah, I mean that's why we created this podcast, right? To to show people what's going on and uh give people ideas so that so that we don't miss out on anything. Um, all right, we talk a bit about YouTube. Um, you created courses, this membership, and then at a certain point, you need to start hiring. When was that for you? When did you make your first hire? I hired a WordPress small job service very early on to do little website tweaks. I couldn't get the picture centered or whatever, and they would do it, right? Just a small job service. So that was the very first, what I consider hire. That was the first help I got was, was in that. And that was early days of the website, 2013, 14. In 2015, I hired a video editor from Upwork. And, 
and that was the only hire for a while. And then in 2000, what was it? Maybe 2018, I hired another teacher who also does customer support and and that sort of stuff. And, and just a lot of various small things. I've since added another another teacher as well. So we have two teachers besides myself and I don't really do much customer service or anything like that anymore. Um, we're looking to hire a third. We have postings out right now for a third teacher. Beyond that, we have a developer who built the site and maintains maintains the, the back end of it as well. And then an SEO consultant and some other various uh, contractors for different jobs. Yeah. What do the teacher do? Are they active in the community? They answer questions or? They do customer support. That's a big one. Just email um, people. And then also they do, when people send in a video, they review it and do the return videos. They're active in the community. They also lead some yeah. Zoom events as well. So like for mm -hmm. specific levels, like level one, and then they'll host it and do kind of Q and A's and, and help people with that. But people form a, you know, a relationship with them. The students form a relationship with them. And so that's really, that's really positive. They also play at the open mic. They also lead a second open mic for a different time zone. So it's just, uh, they just, they just help out with anything mm -hmm. that they can. I also, they do a little bit of writing. So updating posts for SEO, like optimizing old articles for, for SEO, they'll go in and, and rewrite some things, just whatever needs to be done. They also mm -hmm. review all the videos, make the, you know, take the, the sheet music that we publish a lot. There's a couple of editors that are, um, that we also have on the team. They manage them and mm -hmm. get all that happening. You, you just mentioned the open mic. Can you tell us what it is? Um, is that part That's of when, the membership? It is part of the membership. It's a, it's a zoom event in a live setting. It would be like at a, at a coffee shop or something where you could show up and everybody you sign up, sign your name on a list and, and then just rent different people will play for 10 minutes a piece or something. And so with mm -hmm. this, it's you, we have a sign up, we have a, a, just a zoom call. And then the different, the students, the members can play a piece or two or three and, uh, and everybody claps for them in their home. So and we that's have, it. Like there's no feedback or anything. It's just, it's just sharing what, what, what you've learned. Exactly. People say nice things in the chat, but that's it. There's no, uh, it's, there's no teaching going on or anything like that. It's purely a chance to get in front of people and play and, and address those nerves and, and kind of road test your stuff and to share. It's fun. Hmm. We normally have about 80 people on it and it's, it's a, it's really heartwarming. Everybody's very supportive. Hmm. It's great. Is it like one, every week or once, once per month? Once a month. Yeah. We have two I, of them. I, I, like, I, I, I like that. Like, are you, do you know, because I'm not very familiar with the, um, with the, with the music niche, um, or music businesses, music course, music related course businesses. Could you describe like what a typical business model for a guitar teacher on YouTube or with a blog is, is it like the membership? Is it, is it like what you do? Is that, is that typical for the industry? Do, do you know that? Do you, do you watch other <laughs> competitors and colleagues as well? I don't do, I, I don't watch a lot of guitar people on or, or music mm -hmm. people in general. 
these days I have my suspicions, but I'm I'm not completely in the know. A lot of I think that mm-hmm. the large majority would be that they put videos of themselves playing on, and then they use mm-hmm. that to get students that they'll have on a one-on-one, like one-on-one students over Zoom mm-hmm. on a regular, just like going in yeah. somewhere and taking guitar lessons at the local music store. You meet on Zoom at a particular time. I did that for for a, a, a long time as well on just having when Skype was the thing. Mm-hmm. So I think probably the yeah, most so people using it sung. do that. Mm-hmm. So but it's they're also not selling digital getting, courses. Right. Some people are who are getting followings now. They're just amazing players. They've been playing since they were like three years old. And so they've been, uh, you know, and so now they're 22 and, you know, just amazing guitarists. And they, they build these followings, right? And so they have big following. And then they decide, I need to make some money on this. And then they make a course and start selling it. And so that's, mm. that's the other model that I've seen mm. much more frequently lately. Yeah. So would you say that your content strategy is different then? Like, do you teach in your videos? They're you all teaching. like those guys, they're, they're all teaching. So it's not really, um, it's not really a viral strategy, right? That, because that could be another strategy, like the one that you just mentioned, what the other guys are doing. They're playing popular songs that people might, you know, that could go viral maybe if they play it well. Mm-hmm. Um, so your videos are like more, uh, for a, for a niche audience rather than for a mainstream audience. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Mine are educational, like straight up, you know, this is a concept or this is a, you know, here's an exercise for you. It, they're, they're, it's purely educational. I mean, there are some, you know, whenever I have a course, I have a video of me playing the piece for the course. Yeah. So, yeah. so there, there are some performance videos on the channel because of that, but it's, it's not so much, I'm Alan, look at me, here's me with my guitar, so much as it is, here yeah. is, uh, you know, this is a classical guitar lesson, here's how to approach this subject, right? So it is, it is purely, edu- I have an education channel, not an entertainment channel. Hopefully it's also entertaining, but it's, it's education first. Yeah. And I guess one of the benefits of having an educational channel is that you're going to have higher conversion rates, right? Because people watch you because they want to learn, so they are more likely to buy a course. Um, Ever thought about doing it? (laughs) Maybe. Ever thought about a a combination of the two? Have educational videos and then also have a more viral strategy where you reach a a wider audience? Well, that's what What we're starting to, to look at right now. That's what we're... You know, as far as planning content, being a little bit more strategic with it, it's a it's a game that doesn't interest me all that much. Honestly, it's I'm much more into I'm much more into teaching and and learning. And so Mm -hmm. making things and crafting it in such a way, it's a little bit of a I have to make myself do it. It doesn't it just come naturally like, oh, great. Let me like, you know, figure out the, the best headline so that or you know title so that you know and then make the video around it and i i know what the best practices of it for are but it's not uh yeah. it doesn't come completely naturally to me that way uh-huh. don't you miss don't you miss one-on-one teaching like back in the old days i do i love it <laughs> and so, um, so like that's why i love making the courses is because it's like that 
And so it's so easy for me to make them. I mean, they might be, you know, there might be 40, you know, videos on there, but it just, that's not even working for me. I can, I can talk music and, and dive deep on things all day long. It's, that's just my jam. I don't do very much of it these days. And the, my teachers do most of this stuff with, the, uh, with, with actual students. But I do miss it. And I miss the, the relationships as well. I don't have a lot of kids in my life these days, whereas I used yeah. to have tons. And I loved the student recitals. And it was just the whole thing. I just really enjoyed it. So it was a lifestyle. But the money's much better this way. And the hours. <laughs> yeah, so, so 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 let's talk about money then. Like, when was the moment where you were making more with the uh, with the business than with the one-on-one -on -one teaching? When was this? It had to have started sometime, maybe two thousand. For the first few years, I was dumping everything back in, so I was just I was just in growth mode, in that way. Yeah. So I'd, you know, paying for the video editor, paying for the, you know, all the, just everything else. So probably somewhere around 2018, 2017 or 18, I started to transition away and then it, it was gradual. So I would then cut a day of my teaching so that I could dedicate that day. And so I just, as students left, I would not replace them and I'd organize it. So I had more free time and I taught right up until I left Portland, uh, three years ago, July, 2019. And I was, t I had a couple of students that had been with me for a really long time that I would, I was still teaching at that time, even though that was, um, I didn't need to, as far as the income goes, but I just really enjoyed the time together every week. Mm -hmm. So how was it? How was that feeling? Like when, when the, the business took off and you made more with that than with the, uh, one-on-one teaching, was it a happy well, it moment was, or was, was, yeah. it a, was it a sad moment? It was a great relief. It was, it was huge relief because I had a, I had a friend. It was a, I, for a while I taught at a, at a very nice private school and their after school, uh, lessons. And there was a cello teacher who was also there and she had been teaching. She was in her maybe late fifties, early sixties. She had been teaching her whole life, right? Had a really nice thriving cello studio. All these students would come to her house and everything. All of a sudden, everybody left and it wasn't anything with her. It was just that they graduated high school and went off and stuff. And so all of a sudden she just didn't have students and her mm -hmm. referral services had dried up and you know, it's like the kid goes off. And so now they she didn't have the ends with the schools anymore. And it was just a really difficult time for her because all of a sudden she didn't have a network to, to, to get new students in. And it was a real money stress for her. And I, I look at that and it's like, that could so easily happen to anybody doing private lessons if they didn't really mind their, mind their funnel, right? Mm -hmm. And so having something that scaled, something that was not directly related, uh, not trading time for money, it was really important to me to have something like that. Just thinking about the future, right? And thinking about yeah. 20 years from now. Mm. So that was a great relief whenever it's like, okay, this thing actually has some legs you know, I can, I can work with this and do it a different so, way. So, so how has the growth of the business changed your lifestyle? Because first you had to be there with the students in person, right? Whereas nowadays you can, you can be wherever you want to be. Um, yeah. Tell us a bit about that, that change, a lifestyle change. 
pretty great. <laughs> it's been, um, it's, there's a lot of, I have a lot more freedom. So if I want to travel, then I can travel. Um, that's, that's been a big part of it. it. Before, if you travel, if you go do things, then you're not teaching, which means you're not making money. And so to be able to uh, continue to work and earn while taking time off or dedicating a lot of time into some other area of the business, like doing a website rebuild or something, that's something that just takes a lot of time and a lot of decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to do that has been a real, has been a boon. And so my, I was, I just put my head down and worked really hard for most of the time up until about a year and a half ago or two years ago. And it, I was just really getting burnt out with it. Everything was going great. Um, but I was really getting burnt out. COVID happened. My sales actually rose during that time because people went inside and they started to learn guitar because they had to do something inside because everybody was in lockdown. And so things were fine. But I was really not happy necessarily. I was just working. I just felt I was always working. And so I specifically decided to pull back and work considerably fewer hours. And that was a real task for me. It was really difficult, but I wanted to be able to relax. I could go and, and travel and for you know a week or two and have a great time. But I was still, um, once I was ready to get back and, and get to work, moving past that, and just working less, taking the afternoons off, taking, I take all of Wednesday off, I take all of Sunday off still, but also just whatever afternoons I, I want or mornings or whatever. It's, that's been my, my study over the past couple of years until recently, until this summer where I started getting energized again and actually am, am more engaged, doing a lot of reading, things like that. So the, to be able to pull back in that way and not have to keep running, right? That was a huge, that was a huge boon that I could do that. I could work just like minimal hours a week, you know, less than 20, certainly, and mm -hmm. really focus on doing things that were, were healthy, like laying on the couch and reading, yeah. going for walks. Yeah. A lot of, a uh, lot of song. Yeah, and you even just relaxing. And you even moved to a new continent. Right. When, when was that? When yeah. did you move to Europe? Or had that you was been 2019. We had been traveling. My lady and I okay. had been traveling uh, in the summers for the you know three or four summers prior, and we really liked Europe. She's a painter, and uh, and so we thought we were on a road trip actually in California through California, seeing friends, and just we hadn't really explored California much. So we took a month to road trip around California, and in that. We, we had bought a house up in, up in Portland and, you know, doing fancy things with the, with the front yard and everything. And we kind of realized, like, we're not really into it. Like, let's sell the house and just go to Europe. And so, so we did that. And we decided this on this road trip, called our friend, Amy, who's uh, a realtor. She's like, great, get home and clean it up and we'll have a photographer come over. We were out of the country within like two months. It was so fast. Wow. We gave all of our stuff away. The house sold at the open house. Um, it just, it all happened super fast. And then we were just basically had a suitcase a piece and we were doing slow travel. So we went to, we started in Lake Como 
and stayed there for three months and then went into the Dalmatian Islands in Croatia, over to Austria. And then that's where lockdown happened. We were in Salzburg. And so we got to stay in Salzburg for like seven months. It was glorious because Salzburg's beautiful. And with no mm -hmm. tourists, it was just it was just storybook. And so finally they were like, you have to, you guys have to leave. Like, what are you even still doing here? You have to leave. And so we, uh, we came back to Croatia and, and then explored different places. And, uh, now we're at a different country in the Balkans. We're in Montenegro and we just fell in love with it. And it is just, we just have been, been here for, I mean, we, we still leave for a few months at a time here and there, but really kind of home basing here now. And it's just absolutely beautiful nature. It's like a nature park. So what's a bit? What's the biggest difference between living in Montenegro and Portland? <laughs> it's quite wow. quite a contrast, right? Wow. Not only a different different continent. It's also, I mean, even Montenegro and Western Europe is a is a big difference, right? And then you're also living in the you're not living in the city, if I'm correct, right? So that that yeah. must be quite a must have been quite a change. Yeah, it's a, we're in a small village of about 250 people. It's right on the sea. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very nice. It's very quiet. And uh, I really love the Balkan people. They're, it's extremely peaceful in a very difficult, it's difficult to explain, but it just feels very peaceful. Um, there's not a lot of angst and agitation. And I, in the U.S., I, I get a lot of that. There's just kind of like a, a little bit of tension in the air, right? Just with the mm. politics and the, and the social stuff and everything. And so part of that... Yeah. I love the U.S. I mean, it's I love the U.S. and I love Portland and I have a lot of great friends there and uh, I miss certain elements of it. It's really nice to be someplace that's just very quiet. We travel, uh, you know, fairly frequently. So we're going to big cities and and getting that getting that fix. The uh, as far as Portland proper, it's just it's a whole different world. Honestly, and really. Yeah. It was, um, you know, it's living in a city versus living in the country. Mm -hmm. Is a lot of the a lot of the changes as well. But the part that I like least is the distance from, the distance from friends. Most of the friends now are on on Zoom calls. Is how it, it happens more more times than not. Yeah. Well, yeah. You showed me a few pictures of the um, like the area where you live. It looks beautiful there. Um, Adam, we're almost coming to the end of this interview. Um, do you have any, just, is there anything else you want to say? Do you have any tips for people who, who have a skill, who want to teach that skill on the internet, either through, um, a blog or YouTube, I guess YouTube is a bit more, more trendy nowadays. Any tips? Just keep iterating. I think is going to be the if, if if someone is just starting with it, then it's really just going to be trying something, seeing it, how it works, seeing what works, what doesn't, and then going and then changing and adjusting and then going to the next thing and then changing and adjusting. Getting too hung up on one idea and thinking it's like, oh, no, it didn't work. And then quitting is you know, is, a, is not a good strategy. Yeah. But just to get it out there, don't wait till it's perfect. Just just keep it, which actually I'm, I'm bad about that. But uh, I think iterating and just not uh, 
not getting too hung up on expectations, being open and seeing what happens. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we see all these, you know, YouTubers, content creators go viral. And I, I guess what most of us don't see is that 90% or 95% never goes viral and never gets to turn this thing in, into a, a sustainable business, right? Maybe they eventually do, but only if they keep going for, for a few years. And um, I think that's, that's often overlooked. Now, it takes so much time and, and so much effort. And of course, there's always, you know, there's always a few outliers there. You become successful overnight or within the first year. But, uh, you know, that's interesting too. Like me, a lot like, of people who go viral, like they'll have a video that goes viral. And then they, if they don't, if they don't, if they're not ready and they don't use that and really gain some traction, it can really just crest and fall. And then, you know, in three years, they might not really be in a very different place than they were. They just had that video that was really popular, right? There yeah. was a guy in, there was a guitarist in, in Portland I knew who had a really popular video, but it really didn't do anything because it, it didn't, uh, he didn't capitalize on it anyway, except for to say, I have a video with a bunch of views on it. That was kind of the only benefit mm -hmm. for it. And so it didn't do it. The other uh, thing, as far as a long-term a long-term strategy is to look at what are the skills. So like fast forward out a few years, what are the skills that I need to be able to speak well, to be able to, uh, you know, record, present, to be able to write for, in my case, because there's so much content is written on my site. So what, what are the skills that I will need going forward? And then really consciously develop those. Teaching is a big one. I've, I've put a lot of work just over the years into teaching I'm passionate about it and I really enjoy it. And so it's easy for me to study that because I like it. But but that would be if you're teaching something, it would be great to kind of understand how to teach because that is not necessarily intuitive. And it's at the first, most people are really bad teachers if you haven't yeah. studied teaching and haven't practiced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for sharing. And um it was good to connect to you again after after the mastermind in Morocco. If people want to learn more about you and if they want to see some of your work, where can they go? Classical Guitar Shed, S-H-E-D, is the site classicalguitarshed.com and also that's the YouTube channel. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Um, and by the way, we're trying to grow this podcast and get more interesting people on the show. But we need your help. So if you could please give this podcast a positive rating and wherever you're listening to the podcast, that would really help us out. Um, also, yeah, if you want us to help you your course empire, then go to creatorempires.com. It's a new label that we uh, launched not long ago. CreatorEmpires.com, that's where we partner with creators and help them build their course empire. They don't need to do anything. They just send traffic. We do the rest. All right. Talk to you next time.